Welcome to American Girlies, a podcast where Canadian historians read the American Girl books. I'm Hannah Spellwasser-Soroka. I'm Margot Mathieu. I'm Sonia Ann, and today we're reading Samantha Learns a Lesson by Susan S. Adler, and it was published in 1986. So how's everybody doing on this? I don't know what the temperature is where you are, Sonia, but it's only 19 degrees in Montreal. I'm doing great. Here, I love it. <laughs> it is a solid 29 degrees Celsius. And that's okay because I've got the air conditioning running. Yeah. I last week was 35 when we were recording and unbearable. Oh uh, yeah. Hurt my soul. So I'm feeling real good about that. Yeah, please uh, forgive any noise in the background, listeners. We're I'm trying to survive. Yeah. <laughs> Listen, if Sonia dies of heat stroke, there will be no more girlies of any kind. Yeah, this is no, this is our no. If I to, die, um... you have to carry on without me. Don't let my death be in vain, listeners. If you want a quiet background, uh, petition your government to fight climate change. Also, donate to our Patreon so we can afford better equipment to cut out the background noise and central heating and air anyway i think that it's time to get into our episode which is all about sad sad situations where people didn't have central air when what you had if you were wealthy was a servant to stand there with a bunch of feathers So, as usual today, I'm going to go through the summary of the book, then we're going to have a little bit of historical context, and we're going to jump into discussion of the book and round it out with our rating system at the end. So, quick summary of the book, Nellie's entire family from the last book, as we remember, we were left on a cliffhanger. Her entire family has been hired by a neighbor as their domestic staff, so Nellie now gets to live in a nice house and go to school. But she is nine years old and has to start in the second grade because she's never really been to school before. So Samantha offers to help her catch up and move up through the grades. At the same time, at Samantha's private school, there's a speech competition about progress in America coming up. And at first, Samantha writes a speech about how factories are great and bring progress to the nation. But then she reads it to Nellie and Nellie tells her, hey, that's not actually true. Here are the horrors that I have personally witnessed. So then Samantha changes her speech at the last minute to talk about how real progress will only be achieved when children are protected and not working in these factories, and she wins first prize. Yay! So on that cheery note, let's talk about child labor. (laughs) So the historical context of this episode is going to be a bit of a downer, but we're going to try and get through it as quickly as we can. So obviously for most of the 19th century, and I mean, for like most of human history, kids worked in agriculture. That just wasn't an avoidable thing. But 
Particularly in the 19th century, you see a large rise in children working in all sorts of different conditions, including working in factories, on farms, in mines, and as we see with Nellie in this book and the previous book, domestic labor. And particularly as industrialization increased, so too did child labor rates. So in America, beginning in about 1870, uh, each decade after that saw an increase in the percentage of children working, and that's a trend that doesn't reverse until the 1920s. So, for example, in the census from 1900, about 18% of all children aged 10 to 15 were employed for wages. So there would have been more kids working, right, because they would have been younger or who were working on a family farm or that kind of situation. But that's just to give an idea of how many kids are working at around this time. However, as we've talked about previously, you have the progressive movement where there is this pushback against child labor that is happening around this time, where you are getting activism and organization trying to push legislation and actually enforce this legislation to keep kids out of employment. And in 1904, the same year this book is set, we see the formation of the National Child Labor Committee, and they advocated for child labor laws, but tended to be thwarted by quite weak enforcement or in some cases just outright refusals to pass laws because, you know, you don't want to upset large businesses. However, they did effectively use publicity as a means to agitate for reform with Lewis Hines being the most famous example. So if you've seen pictures of kids in the early 20th century in factories, almost certainly you've seen his photographs of very sad children in mills, and then these were published to a broader audience to kind of bring attention and awareness to the realities of these working conditions. And there were these kinds of stuttering attempts at regulating child labor, but we don't really see a big sweeping change until 1938 as part of the New Deal. So the New Deal included the Fair Labor Standards Act, which prohibited most child labor and barred children from working in particularly unsafe environments. But one loophole was agriculture, which remains wide open to this day. Uh, even today in America, children as young as 12 can work for unlimited hours in agriculture. And currently there's an estimated 300 to 800,000 children working in agricultural settings in the U.S. And to make matters worse, since the COVID-19 pandemic, there's been a sharp rise in child labor violations, as well as a loosening of child labor laws to make up for the quote-unquote, labor shortage. So, for example, Arkansas, Iowa, New Hampshire, New Jersey have all loosened child labor regulations to make it easier to hire kids or to have them work longer hours. And in terms of the outright violations, we've had stories of everything from children working at McDonald's to working in meatpacking facilities, which are notoriously dangerous. So I guess I just wanted to contextualize that this is sort of a fight that never really ended even within the United States, because we tend to think about, oh, child labor is now a thing that happens like overseas, but it's still happening yeah. in America. And I mean, we can talk about the global context another time, but this is American girlies. So we're focusing <laughs> in here. Yeah, I, I thought it was super interesting how the peek into the past, because this is Samantha learns a lesson a school story has to be about education at this time and yes. there's like one paragraph about how some kids didn't get to go to school because they had to work to feed their families and even when truancy laws came into effect they were going to work in factories anyway 
but that's about as much mention as the vast proliferation at this time of child labor uh, gets. And I don't know what you made of that, but I thought it was interesting. Yeah, I that seemed like a an oversight to me. Yeah, but yeah, maybe at the same time we. The- Maybe we move this into the discussion portion because I have some thoughts about this in the context of the 80s. So it seems like we're getting into the discussion already. So I guess what did you guys think of the book? This is the one, this is the only one that I like. (laughs) This is by far the best one yet, both from a plot perspective and a character perspective and above all the history perspective. Yeah. Yeah, I quite liked that, you know, we start out quite strong on the historical perspective, right? With chapter one, you get this sort of look into what a girl's academy at the time would have been like, right? Where they're in this little, they're in their private school, they're learning how to write, they're learning to make speeches. They talk about phys ed at this point, which is, but it's ladylike phys ed, where they're like doing arm raises and knee bends. And they have to learn to swim. Yes. Yeah, there's this I thought was a really great way to introduce the school as an idea and it's it's neat that the way Samantha is depicted and I think this is really interesting is as a, a student who is well liked by her mm-hmm. colleagues and teachers but not the top of the class like she's no. a kid where I'm sure that like her reports say things like if Samantha only applied herself <laughs> or not, um, and yeah I, I I thought one of the fascinating things, I don't know if you picked up on this, is the scene where all the girls are eating the lunch. <laughs> and the yes. descriptions of their sandwiches. I don't know, Sonia, you look you Chopped lit up there. I yes, I really loved the little tiny I think this book did a good job paying attention to the little details, like, oh yeah. Samantha's eating a watercress sandwich and her friend is eating an olive sandwich. Where it's just it's little things like that that sort of set you in that time period right like they're not eating peanut butter yet well one of the girls is eating a jelly sandwich right yes but just jelly yeah yeah and and they're all bringing gingerbread for cookie and like Mm -hmm. and it's really clear that this is a lunch that has been prepared by samantha's household chef like this is prepared by mrs hawkins this is not grandmary is not spreading mustard on a sandwich (laughs) I think all of these things also do like a really good job of setting up the class disparity because you see inside of her school and then later you sort of see what's going on at like the public school um, and the difference in like the they because they the Nellie and her sisters don't have lunch pails they're using like lard buckets or something yes and this does essentially like empty butter tins to to bring their lunch and they're like not doing the same kind of like schooling or the same they're like, not they're not writing the same things yeah they're yeah like, yeah I and like how no oh, oh go ahead Sonia no no you you go ahead I was gonna talk about how the public school is depicted as so much worse than the private school where I don't know if you picked up on this but public yeah. school teacher bullies Nellie yeah yep 
Like, Nellie gets sent to the second grade because she hasn't had much education yet, or any, um, which isn't uncommon at this time. Like, this is what happens to older kids who haven't been educated and now have an opportunity to be educated. And the teacher treats her like she's in, like she's stupid and like she's a freak of nature. I, I mean, don't know what be... you made of this in terms of like. I think yeah. that there is it a very nice depiction of public schools. No, but on the other hand, I don't think <laughs> that public schools in 1904 were very nice. Like there, there. Are certainly issues with public school today but i do think that there's something i i I don't think that it's necessarily inaccurate that the teacher is mean and that the other kids pick on her like that's yeah it seems like a thing that that would happen one of the things nelly objects to is being made to sit at the back of class but that's Mm -hmm. because in schools at this time you were seated according to your academic performance. So the best students yep. sat at the front and the worst sat at the back, which is yep. the opposite of what they tell you to do now when you're like arranging a classroom plan. You put the students who need more help right where you can see them at the front of the class. Yes. Um, but anyway, at this time, you just kind of, yeah, shove the less talented students to the back. So putting your new student at the back of the classroom isn't mean. It's that she's not a known quantity yet. And, like, she moves to the front and gets promoted to third grade. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, so I think that that is accurate for the time. I think that because of a lot of situations in the U.S., it's probably not completely inaccurate to a lot of public schools now. Um, Like, there is a serious problem of, like, people underestimating low-income students and students who didn't have like early learning access you know before they went into school and are starting off further behind than like wealthier students whose parents have time to teach them how to read before they get to like kindergarten oh yeah Uh, no no so like this is totally this is totally a thing and I think you know and it at least like it definitely works for the plot uh yeah it does work for the plot I think it's probably like super useful for a book for children that's clearly made for children of a certain class because it's tied into all of these two hundred dollar like, dolls. Yes, yes. exactly. <laughs> so it's it's yeah. these super expensive dolls and all of their stuff. So like, I don't think that there are a lot of you know like lower income kids who have as much access to these books so it is like i think that's one of the reasons that we're reading about samantha and not nelly is that that's going to be the kid that the american girlies who are reading these books can't identify with um so there's like there's that part um and like showing them that like in other situations in a situation where you're not like a decently well-off child uh, that sometimes doing your best isn't going to actually get you anything. Except uh, that it does, right? Nellie, Nellie does her best. She practices outside of class and she gets everything she wants, right? She gets Yeah, well, so she, she does, but like it's because of a lot of assistance from Samantha. Like if Samantha wasn't there, she would still be. Yes. Yeah, and I think that it does kind of highlight this idea, right, that kind of your mileage 
in like even if you have access to education a lot of the time it's really going to be contingent on what kind of outside resources you have to help you Mm -hmm. and that it's not this like perfect great leveler of society where like everyone just it's gonna work out great for you no matter your background kind of deal i'm also thinking about this in the context of the 1980s where like education was a a big part of the ongoing culture wars at that time as in our own um (laughs) but also where there was a kind of like meritocratic pull yourself up by your bootstraps go make friends with that wealthy girl who will teach you how to read yeah uh like uh, producer sam pointed this out but in the peek into the past bit yeah so i have a pulled up here um where they're talking about the truancy laws and it says even though so quote from the peek into the past even though there were laws that said children should not work some poor children disobeyed them so they could earn money to help their families some children tried to work during the during the day and go to school at night, but many times they were too tired and fell asleep at their desks. Um, yeah, no matter where they were sent to school, yada, 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 it goes on to to talk about corporal punishment in schools. But yes, the, the students decided to disobey the laws yeah. of their own volition. Yeah, no, a nine-year-old is perfectly capable to decide if they would like to go get an education or if they want to climb into big machines in a factory for the rest of their lives. <laughs> which will probably be shortened by the big machine in the factory. Yeah, and this, but I... this kind of takes us to the emotional crux of the story. Right? Which is the speech competition. Yes. But before we go there, I did want to quick touch on the part where Samantha starts teaching Nellie in her house right where Mm -hmm. she says hey Nellie I know everyone is mean to you at school and you're having a hard time let's go to my house and I will teach you you know all the things that you need to do to catch up right and when they're there there's this interesting situation where you know Samantha is teaching Nellie spelling and how to write nicely and then she goes on to okay I'm going to teach you math and Nellie is like really good at math just on the ball really fast she can do arithmetic no problem and she points out like yeah samantha of course i can do math i had to do the shopping for my family and like count out pennies to make sure we had enough food to eat you're like oh my my heart yeah there's also this really lovely moment where they name their school the mount better school because the public school is called the mount bedford school and their school is better than that mean school that's not nice to nelly i i just appreciated that little a the little kind of historical tidbit of like yeah of course nelly can do math she needs to be able to manage money at like nine years old but also that it's not portrayed as oh, well, Nellie is just universally less educated or, like, less smart than Samantha, yeah. right? Like, yeah. it's it go, the book goes out of its way to show, no, she is smart. She can do these things. She could, like, she learned a lot of stuff in her own life on her own. So, like, mm-hmm. I, I just thought that was, that was a nice little addition rather than yeah. having her be some, like, completely helpless person what do you make of grand mary in all of this because she does some really interesting things because simultaneously she's like 
defending uh, Samantha's friendship with Nellie, right? Saying that mm-hmm. when when these other mean women come around for tea and are like, I don't understand why you let your nice granddaughter play with that scruffy little servant. Uh, and, but also when when Samantha says, well, Nellie's my friend, Grandmary's like, no, she's not your friend. You're just helping her learn to read. Yeah, so I really, I really liked this depiction um, from like a historical standpoint um, <laughs> because I feel like it's like so it is such a like accurate depiction of this time period where the prevailing ideas are like if you provide access to things um, like if they physically exist in the world right the if schools physically exist if libraries physically exist then the the good pores will make use of them and raise themselves out of that and that's how you like sort of weed out uh the 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 deserving poor yeah the deserving poor and then there's all the other pores who we don't have to help because they obviously deserve to be slaving away in factories for like absolutely no money um so like this was the logic behind um like public libraries and things like that that were free and open access to the public um there's that like really wild to read now um Andrew Carnegie essay about like why he's funding libraries um where it it really is like you know the 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 man who deserves to be raised above like the station that he's born into will take the time outside of his 15 hour like factory job and go to the library and learn how to be a fancy businessman and then like claw his way out of it um with like absolutely no regard to (laughs) the structural inequalities of all of these things um and i feel like that's being like pretty accurately depicted here like obviously if there hadn't been literal like physical intervention on the part of Mary and the van sicklins who removed a whole family from where they had been living in like unhealthy conditions where they were getting sick all the time and didn't have enough food or enough like space or heat or anything they didn't physically move them and put them in proximity to a school and allow them the day hours to go to school like it's really obvious from the story that like that wouldn't have changed but grammary also is just sort of like well you're putting in you know your volunteer hours to like just help this poor girl and if eventually she pulls herself out of that station then like maybe she could be friends well the other thing is that um Grandmary is interesting because she's both, she does things that are, by the standards of her time, somewhat progressive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In that kind of mm-hmm. like Andrew Carnegie, uh, yeah. let the poor better themselves way. Uh, but also yeah. she's like, I'm not a progressive. And she's quite old fashioned, right? She's depicted as having old fashioned morals and old fashioned ideas about a woman's, woman's role. And so, yeah, I, I don't know what to make of, I mean, I'm sure this is a, a thing that a lot of women did where they were, were like, I'm personally not a suffragette and I'm personally not a believer in the automobile, but I do think that philanthropy is good. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I don't think that it's like a, 
wild depiction, especially of, like, she's supposed to be, I assume, in her 60s, maybe 70s even. Like, having someone who, you know, is older, who is like, sure, I can agree with some of the some of the these newfangled ideas but i'm still kind of set in my ways like that mm-hmm. that tracks to me i feel like i know a lot of people where it's like in some fuck? ways kind of set in their ways and then in other ways are like yeah actually we should like change this or whatever the ferocity with which she goes to bat for nelly though when those ladies come over and are mean and rude yeah makes me think that what has happened here is that Grand Mary has decided that she loves this one poor girl. Mm-hmm. She's just like decided to love Nellie and she's decided to turn a blind eye to the fact that her granddaughter is friends with this particular servant girl because she just happens to really like Nellie. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, she, I mean, again, it's this kind of layered hypocrisy thing where Samantha simultaneously is furious at with her snobbish classmates and wants to beat them up for being mean to Nelly, but also her favorite part of dinner is ringing the silver bell that makes the servants bring her dessert. Um, you know, it's, it's yeah. these are, yeah, I, I, I thought this was interesting. I didn't think it was bad or incoherent. I thought it was actually quite lovely and rich. And I thought Samantha too had this really rich character where you can tell that she wants to be compassionate, but she just hasn't grappled with the reality of her own privilege adequately. Yeah, and I mean, I think it it is an interesting way to approach it because then kind of at the same time, right, you can get this sort of, you're seeing both the sort of historical stance, right, and kind of the norm, yeah. like the, the normality of that of, yeah, of course I ring my little silver bell and then someone runs in and brings me my dessert on a silver my plate. My jelly. Yeah, but then at the simultaneously sort of coming to grips with, oh, okay, there's other things going on in this world but also she's nine so it makes sense to me that she's sort of learning things basically yeah and i think this really does bring us now to the kind of crux conflict which is that uh, samantha is uh entered into a speech competition in her school and the topic is american progress what is the most progress thing in america uh which is really like Hello, welcome to the progressive age. We like progress. Yeah, we yeah. named our age firmly, after it for a reason, and we firmly believe that, like, this is that, like, this linear idea of like, if we just keep inventing things, uh, like that history is just going to continue in that line toward like everything getting better for everyone. Um, it's trickle down in economics, right? It's trickle down invention. Again, I keep thinking about the context of the eighties, yeah, the context was, yeah. of deregulation, and the context of like. I was just going to say that and like, it's yeah. such a perfect alignment with both like an accurate depiction of this period, where this is the exact kind of thing that kids would be doing right that you would be entering these speech competitions and just talking about like how great america is now and how like we're moving toward this age of like total enlightenment and like building on the ideas of our founding fathers but now we also have the railway you know and the automobile and all of these great things um but and also feeding into that idea that is also it's still being taught in 
I mean, American schools today, but like, especially in the eighties, like there's no confrontation about like, you know, height of the cold war American progress narrative. Uh, so I found, I found that like, yeah, it's, it's the era of astronaut camp and like, yeah, yeah. I just, yeah. And like, yeah. I think it's, I think it's really interesting what ends up happening with the speech competition like what did you guys think about that do you want to run us through it for our listeners who will not have read the masterpiece that is samantha learns a lesson yes so we can do a quick rundown um samantha gets entered into the contest with her original speech that is factories are great they make a bunch of things because they make them so fast and so cheaply, now everyone can have nice things. But then she changes it after speaking with Nellie. And when she gets to the competition, Edith, the girl in her class who's super mean to Nellie and is just a giant bitch all around, gets up on the stage and is like, we have progress because people used to have to work their whole life and things would never get better. But now, thanks to machinery, anyone can become rich. Excellent. 10 out of 10, right? And then Samantha comes on stage right after her and says, yeah, factories are great. But you know what nobody is uh, thinking about here is that it's hurting a bunch of kids and real progress isn't going to be achieved until we like don't have children working in these really dangerous situations. And then she wins first prize. And I think it's a nice like like the end of Cool Runnings where it's silent in the room and then Grand Mary starts to like... (laughs) Stands up, tears streaming down her face. <laughs> Nellie's crying. Everyone's delighted. Yeah, even every, though the Obama was there. Like, <laughs> balloons fall from the ceiling. I do want to just read two lines from it because it is really like just shout out to Susan S. Adler because this is like deeply emotional because like in. Uh, Samantha's speech she talks about like American factories are the finest in the world it used to take many hours to make a pair of shoes or a table by hand now machines do all of this and they make thread and cloth and all of this other stuff and then later so she tells she reads the speech to Nellie and Nellie's quiet she says I she goes through all of the stuff that happens she actually talks about how kids get mangled like she's yeah, really she, graphic yes. a child she sees a child she yeah. saw a child get nearly scalped by a machine right and she's yeah like, so she says all of that she's like yeah i was standing there and slowly this girl was screaming her half her head was bleeding she almost died they paid us one dollar and 80 cents a week that's why thread's so cheap yep yeah excellent we love to see it like uh and but yeah i think like- this is uh, as sorry but as, yeah. as well, I think it is really important from the historical learning perspective, right, that we have like a solid, what, two, three pages of just Nellie saying, yeah, uh, can't breathe in factories. I couldn't wear shoes even in the winter because I have to climb in machines. In the summer, it's so hot that everyone is like having a hard time breathing and having a hard time staying upright. I'm in pain all day long. And it's just like, oh, my God, yes, go, go off. Tell Samantha to get it together and also tell all the all the little girlies reading this book how awful it is to work in a factory. Yes, and this is also at a period where like a lot of companies are moving production to especially oh, Asia because uh like textile production is being moved to Asia in, in yep. huge volume. Uh specifically to avoid 
yeah, the labor pain, regulations pain in America. having safe factories and not employing small children, right? And, and yep. then you get a series of cascading scandals about like Nike employing children in their sweatshops. Uh, sorry for wrecking that sponsorship, guys. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oops. Uh, I just, yeah, I really feel like this is like. <laughs> the jungle for nine-year-olds right like actually it's not a, a meat packing plant but it's like the same thing and it it really does I think it's a, a really great like in terms of how the story lays this out because Samantha really does believe that it's just machines that are doing this work which I think is how it's pitched to a lot of children that like well where do clothes come from they're made by machines and while machines are employed in the task of creating clothes in factories like there is not a single article of clothing that humans can wear that is not put together with machines human can't. hands. Machines can't cut fabric. Yeah. Like they can't. And they will and they can't hold it together and like no. manage tension. Like all of these things. So like I think it's a really nice like I would I wish that the again, this is my one critique of this book, is that I wish that the peek into the past tied in more to like modern day like even if it's just like 20th century obviously because they're writing them in the 80s but like as they're updated and reprinted um like if they did talk about like modern day issues where it's like hey there are still like people who are doing this work you know physically with their own hands that this isn't done by machines and like see what samantha is doing like you too can yes and whatever it, I'm sorry <laughs> just yeah, no, I, <laughs> you I, too loved can how, I loved Samantha's speech because it's so radical like she's not saying yeah. we should improve conditions somewhat she's saying that until this country gives a damn about the smallest and weakest people in it we will not have progress there is no progress without progress for everybody. And that's genuinely radical by any standard. Like to say that today is like, it, it hasn't diminished, right? That is kind of a guiding star of like leftism and progressivism still to say that like, it's not, it's all of us or none of us. Um, and so, yeah, I found that surprising for a book written to promote a $200 dolly. Uh, and uh, in the 80s, that also is like, kids chose to work in factories. Uh, the, just as Grand Mary and Samantha are very layered characters, so too is our author, Susan F. Uh, yeah. From a pedagogical standpoint, though, I do think that, like, the peak into the past is probably, like, the the least important part yeah. of it. Like, I do wish that it had, like, some connection. Um, yeah, I found it. Like, I think, I think that um, Samantha, like, figuring out, like, what her skills are for, like, speaking up for people because she's in a position of privilege. Um and then I really like that on the last few pages when they're celebrating that she wins the award, she's like equally celebratory of Nellie. Yep. Yeah. 
right no like, it's very nice and it's like, this, talking like, about her thing and like i'm glad we're celebrating too samantha like something happened to me as well and uh she tells her that she moved up to the third grade and samantha jumps up and spins around and claps her hands like nelly that's so wonderful yeah yeah, yeah. and i i think um I think the peek into the past is, is quite weak here. And I think part of why it's weak here is that if I was nine years old and I read this book, the thing I would have questions about, like we talked about this with Kirsten, where Kirsten's school story was a hot genocidal travesty. Um, <laughs> yes. And I don't know, maybe you disagree, but I, I'm. No, no, I think, I think we all agree. I think, I think the one. ratings bore that out. Uh, but, uh, there i think the thing that i would have wanted to talk about is like oh my god the one room schoolhouse Mm -hmm. because the indigenous history component was so poor that i would have been Mm -hmm. like i don't know this seems weird and i don't i don't even know what to do with this but coming away from samantha learns a lesson my question would be wait children got ripped apart by machines (laughs) right <laughs> yeah, I would have like, thought that the peek into the past should focus on, you know, at at bare minimum working in a factory. Like even if you didn't want to focus in the whole thing on child labor, I would have thought that they would have done something but, like that. But that again goes back to the kind of corporate yeah, ownership of American girls, right? Where where yeah. the way the, that the stories are set up is that the first book in every girl's story is meet name. Yeah. And for a really long time, the second one is name learns a lesson. Yeah. And then the third time was name surprise and it was Christmas themed. And then they had to change some of those things because they didn't do like some of their dolls don't do Christmases or birthdays because of the historical period and like cultural yeah. backgrounds that they come from. Yeah. Uh, some of their dolls weren't going to a physical school because of history. Um, but but for a really long time, <laughs> until like the two thousand early two thousands, all the dolls fit this format. And so Samantha can't have a child labor story because by corporate decree it has to be a school story. Yeah. Well, because they sell Samantha's desk. And they yeah. sell her they sell cute her little books. they and sell her like, cute little goth outfit. Yeah. And yeah. Can Molly, we talk about her, her outfit in this book? It's oh, fantastic. It's so black dress, Terrible. black stockings, black hair ribbon, just fully little black perfection. Yep. Yeah. Little puff sleeves. Fantastic. No, Samantha was had such good looks. I'm I'm sorry. They've changed them all up now. They've changed them all up now. Oh, tragic. Gross. And they are not as good as the I want book accurate <laughs> dollies yeah yeah because yeah. I mean yeah obviously like, so that they're selling all of those things and like they sell them with Molly like her school bag and her little books and like all of that you know lunch yep. boxes and stuff um obviously they can't sell Nellie and like a tiny <laughs> like a large tin well, no, so they do sell well, Nelly, but, but they can't yeah. sell Nelly with, like, a working loom, you know? Like, they can't have her, like... <laughs> they can't sell Nelly with, like, trying to pull her remaining fingers out of the mangle. Yeah, yeah exactly. Oh, that, okay, that would be an absolutely metal doll, though, like... 
and like just okay, saying, also, I'm pitching focused, it. We're focused here very much on uh, the factory being super dangerous. The domestic labor is dangerous too. Like I don't know yes. if any of you have ever operated a mangle, which is like an electric, the, yeah, or like the, the yeah, it's to rolling out the water of the yeah. Yes, or to iron things where like it's, a, it's oh, two did. really hot heated rolls that are rolling against each other, well, and, and again, you have to reach your like hands in they... and pull out your. We have, and stuff. yeah, and we that see Nelly doing that, really that in the to... book, and they showed it accurately that she yep. had three separate irons sitting yeah. on because my and my so... grandmother had a my grandmother when I was growing up had a um had an antique iron because it's just a solid block of literal iron iron doorstop um but you have three of them at a time and they sit on the stove and the whole thing heats up and you have to use this like massive glove to be able to hold it yeah and so like i mean as dangerous as like modern irons are because there's steam and hot heat and stuff like this is a solid like i mean they weigh like 10 pounds or something solid block of iron that you're just that's heat- heating whole- almost to the point yeah. where it's glowing yeah yeah and so i did like that they they show that accurately because so often like if you watch tv and stuff they just have one iron and it's like what are you doing for the 15 minutes that it takes for that thing to heat up like what? yeah and i did appreciate um, that it was depicted as like yeah okay nelly gets to go to school now but, but she, she has to does go home still, and do all of this work. Yes, but she does still have to go home and work. Like, she's still employed as a domestic servant. I have a question at about the end of so the day. I don't know. This is not really about the history. Uh, this is about Samantha not remembering that Nellie's formative childhood experience was working in a factory. But, like, I think Susan Adler forgot book one a little bit because also in book one Nellie talks to Samantha and says like oh yeah my mom had a baby recently but there's no baby well I think they just they just don't ever address like the rest of her family well but she's got all. two like, little sisters aren't going to school. yeah but like I, I don't know I think anyway. that's just like a plot wait, thing wait, where like they're not actually interacting like... with because the... yeah I was like wait there's five of you living in a small apartment where's baby the baby died between. He's working in a factory between book one and book two. That baby definitely died of starvation I mean, or like consumption or whatever, and yeah, an infection. Yeah. We're gonna skim right over that one. Yeah, that's for sure. Um, but yeah, I did find it an interesting thing where in in the first book, the whole reason that Samantha's like we have to help Nellie because they're gonna send her back to the city and she has to work in this horrible factory and then in book two she's like factories are great actually I wonder what she thought Nellie was doing there maybe she thought Nellie was like doing really boring bookkeeping or something or like yeah putting things in boxes to go to the department store in book one her main concern is that they don't have enough coal yeah that's true I mean she even in book one, she also wasn't super concerned that Nellie couldn't go to school yeah. when she was working at the Rylands. So, like, so maybe this I mean, is she's like, learning, she's okay. growing. Maybe, yeah. maybe it's not as as disjointed as we are portraying it. <laughs> and I think I don't know. My, yeah, I, yeah. I don't know. I think I think I don't know if we've discussed everything we wanted to touch on. Uh, yeah. I think just about. Uh, I guess. Other than, I don't know, I think peek into the past, while not super topical, 
did give a reasonable overview of what school was like at that point. Yeah, this idea that there's private academies for the rich kids, and then there's public schools of varying qualities for everybody else. It's mostly focused on rote learning. Reason reasonable little blurb, even though I wish it had been more attached to the actual themes of the story. Yeah. Yeah. So what is our rating what scale? Our... Yeah. Oh god. I think let let's make it a cheerful one. How many gold medals that Samantha wins oh. at the speech contest out of five possible gold medals do you give this book? I'm going in with a strong four. Uh, it loses points for the weakness of the peek into the past. And because Samantha doesn't actually deck the snotty little girl who's being mean to Nellie. Uh, this is true. But yeah, four out of five gold medals for this. Form a union. We love Samantha. We love Nellie even more. Yeah, that's I'm I'm going with four as well. I think that I wish the peek into the past had more about like factories and working conditions rather than this one sad picture. Um, and my personal headcanon is that yeah, uh, Samantha goes on to like join the suffragettes and becomes a militant, you know, workers' rights advocate. S- Samantha joins the International Ladies Garment Worker Union as a lawyer. Exactly. Yeah, she she goes to Smith, and <laughs> you know, and Radcliffe, I guess, would be where she. she Sarah Lawrence. She, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> she goes on to be a big mover and shaker. I'm for once going to go even higher than everyone else. This is a five out of five You're for me. Five? I'm gonna five. I know there are problems with it, but in terms of would I give this to a child? Not only would I oh, happily give this yes. to a child. I think that it actually not only teaches quite good history, like as we talked about everything from the little details of the sandwiches all the way up to, hey, kids were getting their scalps ripped off in factories. But it also, I really do love, like as cheesy as it is, right, that ending with the juxtaposition of, oh, well, machines and progress and actually anyone can be rich if they just work hard. And then Samantha's speech coming up and saying, no, it's not true. And uh, until we stop child labor, I don't want to hear about progress. And I'm like, yes, good. Historical education, moral education. Like, let's go. Our average here is a 4.3. Which makes this the best American girly yet. Yeah. Hell yeah. Samantha. Snaps for Samantha. Samantha, you're doing I... amazing, sweetie. <laughs> All power to the union. Exactly, yeah. I fully I fully support Samantha's mission. For the union makes us strong. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, thank you so much for listening. We uh, hope you enjoyed. We hope you enjoyed. <laughs> Solidarity forever. (laughs) Bye, girlies. Or no, Hannah, you have to say it. I don't have the. I'll say it. You gotta. Bye, girlies. American Girlies is a production of the Baba Yaga Project. We are produced by Sam Gleave Freeman. 
and this episode was edited by Sam Gleibriman. This episode was mixed by Margot Mathieu. We are hosted by Sonia Ann, Margot Mathieu, and Hannah Sparwasser Soroka. Our music is composed and performed by Esther Ruth Teal. This podcast is brought to you by Patreon supporters, just like you. If you would like to support the show, please check out patreon.com slash Project for bonus content and extra goodies. We are at Baba Yaga Project on Twitter and at the Baba Yaga Project on TikTok and Instagram. 